From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 73. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello Johnny. Good morning, good day all. And what's the weather like in Chicago? God. You know... Not only is it bad enough I can't have caffeine for this podcast anymore, but I have to do the obligatory weather report now. So my uncaffeinated weather report is that it's effing gray again, as usual, and raining. Um, except now today it's hot and humid. It's just been cold and rainy before most days, which I'm fine with, but hot and humid and rainy is really awful. So, well, yeah. I'm- I must. It's, I must, it's, it's gotta, lovely. I was going to say I've got to congratulate you on your your self censorship there without and without any caffeine as well. That's that's pretty good going. There, I just it's I I don't. Uh, it's too early for me to be this surly and uh, you know it's just it's just gross and I, I I can't even manage the energy to be fully surly without caffeine. So there you have it. <laughs> Well, let's. I mean, you're you're just getting up, and uh, over in Hong Kong, uh, Perry's just about to get his milk and uh, warm it up for his nightcap. Uh, how are you doing, Perry? <laughs> that is correct. I'm good. I'm good. It is. Uh, it's oppressively hot in Hong Kong. Um, we're hitting like 34 degrees Celsius, and you know, since I'm Canadian, I just want to die in this. Is that like 110? That's yeah. Oh, good God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like that's like a, a fat, sweaty man's pants in <laughs> on the equator, or something in the middle of summer. That's oh yeah, that just makes my flesh crawl thinking about that. Yeah, it's Ugh. it's horrific, and our humidity averages out at like ninety percent here. So it's oh, God, I would f-ing die seriously, Perry. <laughs> and you're a Canadian, yeah? How can you handle that? It's it's rough. <laughs> It's rough. I was uh, I was in the supermarket the other day with my girlfriend, and she was looking at actual stuff, and I was like standing at the kind of walk-in freezer section, just <laughs> pretending to look at frozen goods because it was cool. <laughs> Somebody get me to Calgary. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, on, on on that note, we'll we'll move swiftly on there. Um, and uh, firstly, I just want to thank Pear Edmund for being our guest last week um, and thank him for going through the, the pros and cons of using uh, a Fuji digital medium format camera with uh, older 35 millimeter lenses. So, uh, Isn't that a large format camera? Well, we yeah, there was, there was a bit of a debate about that, wasn't there? Um, <laughs> or, or was it even medium format? But yes, it, it's, it's got to be medium format because anything bigger than 35 millimeter format is medium you know, format. So that's I was I, I was thinking about that. It it has to be because it at least on one side that sensor is basically the same size as 127 film. It's just a more rectangular 127 film. So you know, but well, that's technically medium format for well, sure. Is, mm-hmm. is, is is 127 film medium format? Sure. Yes. Yes. It has it ha- it, it 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 comes on a roll with backing paper, right? And it's <laughs> bigger than thirty-five millimeters. So therefore, it is medium format. Yeah. Anything I, bigger than thirty-five. Yes. But, I, but it's just tell, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it just square thirty-five millimeter? No, no, yeah, it's with, bigger. with the same width. No, it's 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 bigger. It's bigger. It's four by four centimeters. 
127 so is, four, so, is four by four. So this is where I'm getting I'm getting a little bit confused now because yeah, four by four does ring a bell. Yeah. Um, but obviously four doesn't necessarily mean four though, does it? In the same way six doesn't what? mean six. It's usually oh, I see. trimmed back well, it, that. Yeah, it's, it's probably 38 or something. You know, yeah. I think it might be 36, you know. And uh, no, it's, it's bigger than that. Trust I don't. Me. I don't know. I don't know because I mean, do, I, do I need to get my negatives out and throw in the light table and send you a picture, well, Simon Forster? Well, he, he, he was, here's <laughs> where the my my point where I'm laboring to get towards is that you can put these. Uh, the, one of the big things about these, I think, these to be called super slides or something like that, where you you yeah. can actually view them through uh, a 35 millimeter projector. So they would actually fit in the same same slot as a 35 millimeter slide would fit in and you think that means i'm just just gonna let you continue that logical <laughs> well i'm, I'm saying that the, the, it's they are square but based upon the width of a 35 millimeter uh, i think all that means is that those projectors were able to take 127 since it was also a common format so you know mm. You build a gate big enough to do both things. Mm. I I think we're going to get some uh, listener interaction on that one. <laughs> so, one 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 way or another, put 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 us straight because uh, I I I don't think either of us are talking with any kind of certainty there, are we? Oh, I am. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, moving moving swiftly on. Please help us out on that um, audience. Uh, that'll be that'll be use, useful to know. Um, Okay, so moving back on to this week, let's let's move back to Perry, and let's talk yeah. about some of the things that you've been up to. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, I mentioned briefly last week um, in the shout-outs that I was in Taiwan for a weekend, um, and I, I brought film on my trip, but when uh, on Saturday, my girlfriend and I were walking around a little town, a sort of mountain village called Jiufen, which is a really sort of picturesque touristy area. And we were wandering away on one of the sides um, far from where the tourists gather. And we found this little like photographer's gallery and uh, darkroom. <clears throat> it was tucked away in this little alley. And the guy there, his name was Paco. And he was a Taiwanese photographer uh, who sort of traveled the world. He lived in Cambodia for three years. And we went in and were looking at his pictures and kind of chatting with him. And he had a, uh, a, I mean, super nice guy, super cool pictures. And he had a bit of an exchange with my girlfriend that I think I have had with other sort of less obsessed photographers as well. Um, so he goes in and she asks him after looking at his pictures, oh, what do you shoot with? And he looks at her and says, oh, the camera doesn't matter. I'm like, nice. Um, and he says, I shoot with a bit of everything, you know, uh, 35 mil, medium format, large format. It just depends, right? It seemed like he shot large format for landscapes and whatever. And so then my girlfriend tries to move the conversation on. She says, oh, because, you know, Perry over here really likes shooting uh, film as well. Um, and in fact, he's got a film camera with him. So I whip out my Bessa R with a Canon 35 F2 on it. And he sees it. And then we start we start chatting uh, about rangefinders, about Leicas, Um and I ask him, you know, are you shooting Tri-X? And he goes on this rant about how Tri-X is awesome and Ilford film sucks because um, <laughs> he really hates that stuff. And, and then after a, after a bit of chatting, you know, he, he let me take a couple of portraits of him. Uh, I just posted one in the Photography with Classic Lenses group. 
couple of portraits of him in his in his uh, gallery with his pictures. And then by the end of it, he was telling me that if I really like rangefinders and shooting medium format film, I should get a Plabo Makina. Yeah. So I, I just like that the conversation evolved from what camera do you use? Oh, the gear doesn't matter to yeah. you should buy a Makina. Yeah. <laughs> I, <think, laughs> I think I've had that experience before from the other side too. Yeah. You take you take great great pictures. You must have a great camera. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's it's the whole, and then you respond with, "Oh, if you're a good cook, you know, do you have nice pots?" But then you find out that they're they're also into the hobby, and then it's suddenly like, "What is that? Is that a biotar? What is that?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a it's a great photo. I'm just looking at the one that you you put in photography with classic lenses, and it looks to me like he's 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 looking at your girlfriend in a sort of quiz, quizzical way at this moment. Yeah, they're having a chat about um, some of his photography and, and some of the time that he spent, I think, in Cambodia because we were there quite recently. And I just asked him if I could just take some shots while they were chatting, and, and that's the one that I like the best. Yeah, he's got some nice, nice shots on the wall as well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He's, um, it, like, it, it looks like a man cave. It's a tiny uh, little gallery in, in, in like a wall. It reminded me of, like, you know, in um, like Italy, sometimes you have these shops that are kind of almost like a cave carved into like a, a, a rock wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it looked like that. And then there was like a screen behind which he had his dark room where he did all of his printing. Uh, and he wow. only shoots black and white film and had like a, a real variety of shots from like documentary style people shots to landscapes to like urban decay and things like that. It was, it was pretty cool. I'm, I'm curious to know what he, what he had against Ilford films. I, I don't know. He didn't explain. He just said he loves Tri-X and uses it almost exclusively. Uh, and he he really doesn't like the way that Ilford film looks, hmm. which I mean I don't I don't necessarily agree with that, but I didn't probe any deeper. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I think we all have our favorites, don't we? And uh, and if if something works, then stick with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to Johnny about this on on uh, Messenger a couple of days ago, I think, because I really like Tri-X, and I know he really likes Tri-X. But for me, the way that I develop film, Tri-X curls like crazy and it drives me nuts. Whereas, like, I've been using um, a few other films a lot recently, Kentmere and Rolly. And even though I don't think they look as nice, they just, they don't curl at all for me. And it makes it much easier for me to just scan them quickly. So other than that little trip to uh, Taiwan, um, the protests have died down in Hong Kong. And I I had an experience right before the protests happened that was kind of weird. So Simon... Uh, in our protest episode, you asked me about how the protesters were like reacting to um, me being there and taking photos of them. Yeah. And, and I was just thinking about that because before the protest happened, I was out shooting uh, some street photography with a Nikon S2 and a Zeiss Biogon 35 2.8 uh, Contax RF mount um, with Adox Silvermax. And, and, and I'm shooting around and there was this one like sort of... Uh, it wasn't quite an alleyway. It was like a ho- open air hallway that led into a an office building, and it was it, it was really nice because it had like uh, glass on the roof, so this there was this light pouring in, but it was dark on the bottom. And there was this uh, female security guard at the end of the hallway who was kind of like sweeping stuff up, and I, I poked my head in and I took a photo, and and then I kept walking. And th- there were two other guards on the side of the building where I was, um, two old guys. And then she comes, she comes sprinting out towards me after I take this picture. 
And normally when I take photos of people, I'll like acknowledge them and they either don't care or like look quizzically. Occasionally you do get negative reactions because people in Hong Kong can be kind of stressed out and angry, sort of like in New York. So this woman comes running after me and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Here we go. Um, And (laughs) she stops me in front of her other two guard friends and she says, hey, did you take my photo? And I was like, uh, and she goes, hey, reporter. What what newspaper do you work with? I was like, <laughs> what what? I, I'm not a reporter. She's like, no, I don't believe you. I'm gonna open the newspaper tomorrow and see my photo in it. And and I pick up my camera and I'm like, look, I'm not a reporter. No reporter shoots with one of these. And she goes, show me the picture. And I say, it's it's film. Uh, I can't show you the picture. I can show you later if you want, but like you can barely see her. She's in the shadows and really far away. And then her two buddies, um, her two guard friends, start like sort of talking her down and says, and they, they say, look, look at that camera. Look how much, look, look how crap that camera is. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's an uh, idiot. So, Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. They're like, it's, it's a toy. No reporter would shoot with such a crappy camera. They'd get fired right away. Look at that thing. It's like 50 years old. I was like, exactly, exactly. This camera sucks. It's a toy. I'm just playing around. Uh, she's like, you look like a reporter. <laughs> what does that even mean? But eventually they, they calmed her down and she was like, all right, as long as I don't see myself in the newspaper tomorrow. I was like, this is a very strange logic, but this is also a very strange experience because I've had people get upset having their picture taken before, but this was just like, you're not doing anything newsworthy, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that that was odd. I don't know, like, you know, Simon, I, I don't think you shoot too much street photography, right? No, um, no, I don't. But you've—I was just going to say—I I'm, I'm so, know I'm cutting across you there slightly, but you've, yeah, it's—it's it's a really interesting point that you've—you're you've, making there, and or rather something that's in my mind at the moment, and and that's—I mean, we've talked about it before how uh, people might have a, a black camera because it's it makes them invisible to people on the street, you know, and uh, all this kind of nonsense, <laughs> and uh-huh. there actually could well be a good case for using something that really is undoubtedly not a modern camera. Uh, <laughs> like a blue yeah, yeah, or uh, go out with a large format camera or, 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 or a TLR or something like that. Something that looks that anybody in the, just about anybody on the planet knows is not a digital camera. And I just wonder if that would actually make the whole process that much easier because people know that, well, he's, he's not doing this seriously, is he? Yeah, because, you know, I, I think some people just don't want their photo taken, which is fair enough, and, and you have to respect that. But I do think a lot of people on the street are worried about what you're going to do with the photo. Like, I, I, I've had people express indirectly that they're worried about, like, their picture appearing on porn sites and things. I'm like, what? This doesn't make sense. But, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, there's there's something to that. That, depends, you know, having that like a, depends on where you were taking the photograph at the time. Jim. Yeah, I actually have a story like that I'm not even going to try to repeat other than uh, I, 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 uh, I can't even, like, begin to tell the story. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have found that using um, cameras that look kind of quirky, uh, yeah. especially medium format cameras and range finders, they are more often conversation starters um, or, you know, they, they get kind of quizzical looks from people who I shoot candidly rather than strong negative reactions. I think if you're holding a DSLR with like, you know, a, a long lens and you're taking pictures of people that even I find that kind of creepy when people are doing that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. The other thing to say on that is I think your demeanor matters a lot. 
because there is a whole school yeah. of thinking that when you're shooting on the street, you should try to be stealthy. Um, but if you try to be stealthy and you're like shooting from the hip, walking past people or, or, or clearly taking pictures of them and trying not to be seen, when they notice that, you look like a creep mm -hmm. and you look suspicious. Whereas if you look like uh, a tourist or if you look like um, you know, a camera enthusiast or a photographer who's just out having some fun or shooting some street photography, then people just relax, right? Yeah. So I, I get a lot of people who will like wave at me or smile when they see me taking the shot because I, I try not to hide and I just look like a guy with a camera taking pictures of the street, which is literally what's happening. So, and then finally, other than uh, that bizarre experience with my terrible Nikon S2 and, and Contax Biogon, uh, I got a couple of new acquisitions um, that I can run through relatively quickly. Um, I picked up a Penf 32 1.8 for pretty cheap, and that is proving to be quite fun. Uh, I got a Roly HFT Distagon 35 2.8 uh, for QBM mount, um, also mm. because it was on sale at a shop I like, and I don't have any 35mm uh, SLR lenses, so I just bought that to see what it was like. I got a 20-pound uh, CCTV 25-millimeter f1.4 C-mount lens um, that pretty much covers micro four-thirds. By 20-pound, I mean, like, price, right? Not not like the weight of this thing. Well, so, well is that a, you, in the UK on eBay or something like that? No, no, I'm just converting Hong Kong dollars for your convenience. All oh, right. You, you, you also <laughs> need to do it for Johnny's convenience as well, because he's really confusing us now. <laughs> No, I, I I I I can follow pound because it's worth nothing. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, worth, it's worth not right. It's worth nothing. It used to be double. Now it's one and a half or whatever. Well, I just convert to pounds because you just pretty much divide by ten uh, yeah, to get Hong Kong sense. dollars to pounds. Whereas for U.S. dollars, it's like seven point seven eight, and yeah. you know I I can't do math that quick, um, <laughs> <laughs> despite being from Asia. Um, <laughs> 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 and uh and then two other things i it's been a, it's been a bit of a gassy couple of weeks um you know sometimes i go through like long periods of multiple months where i'm just focused on shooting loads and loads and loads and then sometimes i just want to get new stuff and see what it's like uh so i my friend who i did a photo shoot of him and his family a, a couple of weeks ago um as a gift they gave me a uh special edition um polaroid sx70 sonar uh autofocus version which was a super cool present and I, I i wasn't expecting that so i've been playing around with that and that's super cool um you you guys know the sx70 right the cool folding oh yeah. One. yeah 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 it's yeah. It's, it's beautiful it's actually an slr yeah. isn't it uh-huh yeah um well i don't know if it actually has a reflex mirror but it it definitely has some kind of mirror that then reflects yeah. through this little viewfinder well i think it's, the, the, the reflex is just literally the mirror, isn't it? Rather yeah, than, uh, it's rather than the action. Yeah, yeah, it's an yeah. SLR. They, yeah, they they did make viewfinder versions of that camera, some of the later ones, but the the early ones are SLRs. Yeah, and because Mint Camera, uh, who refurbishes a lot of this stuff, they're based in Hong Kong, um, and I think he bought it from Mint originally. So I just took it to them to get them to check it through because he hadn't used it in years, and it, it works perfectly. It's gorgeous. The film is expensive, though, man. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> and it's still kind of crap. I mean, it just well, it's way nicer than Instax. Uh, from the really, you think so? Think so far. Oh, well, Instax man. Mini, yeah. 
Oh, I like Instacks. I, I the Impossible films are still well. I'm sorry. I well, I should call them Polaroid originals now, but whatever. To be fair, I don't know how much of it is the, the film versus the lens. Um, but like the lens on that thing is definitely way better than the lens on my Instax Mini, which oh, is just like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. to be fair, you might be right because back when I put the Instax in my uh, Texas Leica, yeah, it um it, it looked really good, but you yeah. know the Instax Mini doesn't do that, right? Uh, and then finally, I uh. I bought another Leica. Uh, I got a, I got a, I know I have a problem, um, but I got a Leica CL because it was, it was really cheap for Leica CL. Oh yeah, um, you, just, you you did really well on this. I mean, it was 180 yeah. pounds. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, and it, it was overhauled a year and a half ago by Kanto Camera in Japan. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. Um, and it's had the the meter uh, upgraded to a new cell, and it now has been changed to take 1.5 volt batteries instead of the old uh, 1.35 volt batteries. And like, that's a total steal. Yeah, um, it, it really but then, is. because it has 40 millimeter frame lines, I got I got gas and needed a lens for it, so I, I went and bought a 40 millimeter Summicron. <laughs> Which like defeated the entire purpose of this deal. <laughs> Someday Perry is going to be a poor father with an infant, and, <laughs> and that's gonna that's gonna be a really interesting conversation. <laughs> I'm gonna have to start selling all this stuff. Exactly. Hey, but by then it will have appreciated so much that you know it's going to be doing better than my retirement fund. That's that's true. That's true. Get it. Get it. Do it while you can, Perry. I'm, I'm just I'm just imagining the floor just covered in lenses, uh, rangefinder lenses in particular, and, and then you need to put baby down somewhere, and you just like put your arm down on the carpet and just use your arm as a big like sweeper to just clear some space for the baby to play on the, on the ground, <laughs> or just make a play mat out of uh, out of old rangefinders. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you were go. talking with Pear about your Billy bookshelf, but I mean, I my stuff is is. I have a four-story bookshelf that goes up to the ceiling that's completely full of stuff. And then I've got, like, a, a big dry box in my study room that has, like, the, the nicer stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I am quickly running out of space. To be clear, I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. I have eight Billy Book cases, so. Okay, that's worse. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I'm, I'm very curious to, Johnny, to know how big your collection is. Because you keep saying you're not a collector, and then you keep saying all this really collectory <laughs> stuff. Um, and there have been past episodes of the podcast where you suddenly randomly come out with like pictures of, you know, hundreds of Carl Zeiss uh, silver lenses. Right? It's like, where are these coming from? Where yeah. are these in house? Oh, I have the lenses in in special bins. Uh, they're actually made in England. Um, they're very they're they're these great divided heavy plastic bins is where I have all the lenses but the cameras I have well they should be in the Billy bookcases but they're just kind of all over everywhere um, so uh, yeah although I do have a huge pile of stuff I just took off the mantle to sell I mean I have like I don't know a dozen uh, retina cameras Kodak retinas and I've got about 10 exact as that are all going to get sold because i don't like either one of those things mm -hmm. well except i i only need one exacta which is that i have it actually the one i works perfectly and that i i kind of cherish because it's the one that carl sent me 
I have Carl's. Yeah. Carl had that really nice exacta. So I have like all these exactas that don't work, and then one that's like perfect that works perfectly. So since I have that one, I don't need the others. So I'm finally ditching all the others, which I got because of the lenses attached to them. So I don't know why I have the retinas. I don't like retinas. I've never liked retinas. <laughs> oh no, I do. The know lenses I got are nice. I, well, that's why I bought them for the lenses. I was thinking I'd rip yeah. the lenses out of them and put them on something else. But taking lenses out of some retinas is a real pain in the ass. So I never bothered. Um, so I just have the cameras. Yeah, they're just, just sitting and I not going to use them so those are going to get sold they're, they're quite a few retinas aren't they um, you've got SLRs like, and range finders uh, and, there's a ri- yeah. ridiculous amount of retina variations it's ridiculous. and you, you you have to be careful with those because i've seen mm. i think there was someone in the uh the photography of the classic lenses group quite recently who bought a retina lens yeah but it wasn't a dkl one it was like the add-on right. uh, that goes in in front and like right. you can't use that adapted unless you like rip out the exactly. rear element block, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. Like the retina models that have the interchangeable front cells on them, and they all use the common back optical block, which is in the camera. Yeah, those are. <laughs> Ricardo went through that. I we had a whole discussion about the eighty millimeter, which looks like it would be an amazing lens. Mm-hmm. It's it's that that eighty millimeter, but it's literally it's basically just it's just the front optical block so the back does no good can you remove that you uh, you, back you can block? people have done it people have people have taken the rear optical out of the camera body and i mean it's possible yeah just it's a lot of work i, oh, I mean so it'd it's be not, a lot of work for me but yeah so it's not as simple as like a synchro comper shutter mm, where you're just no. like unscrewing it and then putting it on a helicoid no it's 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 way more complicated than that mm. yeah it's probably more complicated. It's probably more complicated than doing it with a contacts or a Kiev, as, as some people do to get them out. Yeah, it's it's more complicated than that too. Yeah, definitely. There, there is there is one lens I'd I'd love to see adapted uh, from from. Actually, no. What I'm I just realised I'm not even talking about the retinas, but I'm 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 actually talking about the uh, the Voigtlander. Um, Vitessa, and I think the connection. Oh, yeah, I do believe uh, Voigtlander were making those or some of those uh retina cameras. I'm guessing they seem very similar. They had me. some DKL mount stuff, yeah. Well, the, the they're different, but they had the same lenses. So, the the there are retinas that have the same well, I don't know if they're exactly the same, but you know, they have the same uh Zenons and uh yeah. Ultrons and stuff that are in the in the uh Voigtlander cameras. So they they have they're very similarly um, lensed, you know, in terms of lens lineup. They're very competitive that way. Yeah, but I, I'm just wondering if they actually also if the cameras themselves for Kodak, whether they because they were made in Germany as well. These most of these yeah. retinas with uh, I think some were made in France as well actually. Uh, but the the German ones, I I just feel I, you know it just seems logical that they actually came out of the Voigtlander factory as well. Uh, somebody who knows about retinas will set us straight. I'm sure. I don't. I don't think so. But that somebody did. But hey, it's possible. You never know. I mean, well, well to go off on that 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 tangent, I went on to just to finish it off at least. And uh, the uh, Vitessa, um, yeah, the Vitessa. Uh, th- there's a uh, few of those have got a 50 millimeter f2 Ultron uh, yeah. lens on them. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see what that would do on digital. But the only thing is, I'd only like to see that happen with a completely dead uh, Vitessa because they're just beautiful yeah. looking cameras. I've never actually used one and they may be an absolute pain to use. They're a bit 
bit funky in the way that you wind them on and stuff. But yeah, <laughs> and I know yes. Anthony Rue loves them. He he loves them. It's one of his all time favorite cameras. I think they're really. I mean, they're they're really quirky. If you like weird cameras, I just think that are, I think the design is absurd as far as the the winding <laughs> the winding pull. Yeah, the, the, the weird rod that sticks like a meter up in the air, right? I, I, somebody, I, I saw there's a name for that in either Germany or somewhere. It's basically they call that camera the lighthouse because it's got it's got that big stick sticking up out of the top. And I mean, they're just it's really weird to have this appendage hanging several inches up off the camera. But yeah. hey, it works. It works. Actually, is really cool. The whole design is great. The lenses are great. And, and Simon is right, though, you know, to adapt those um, old lenses off the fixed lens cameras, you really want to find one where the camera is dead and the lens is nice, because it's such a shame to destroy something of like, great historical value and such like such beauty, uh, just to stick it on a Sony. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I considered a while back, I have a I have a Agfa Carat 36, which has a Rodenstock Heligon yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. 50 F2 on it. And the shutter was sticky, and I considered ripping the lens out and adapting it, but I, I just I couldn't bring myself to do it. So I brought it to Uncle Tat of uh, Camera Panda Repair in Hong Kong, and he I told him this, and and he fixed it for me for pretty cheap. Uh, oh, that's cool. He, yeah, yeah. Wow, nice. the lens is nice. I do want to see what it looks like on digital, but I'm if I stumble across a dead one for cheap, then that's what yeah. I'm going to do it too. Yeah, I, th- I think the only way, the only justification uh, that's, that's allowed and legitimate for uh, destroying a perfectly good camera um, is for if you're going to mount a light bulb in it. Yeah, I'm a oh. fully, I'm fully on board with that. Um, so one of the other cameras I took off my mantle to sell is a uh, Bantam Special. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great looking camera. Great yeah, looking camera. I, I agree with that. Despise that camera. I and I bought it and immediately, with zero hesitation, ripped the lens out of it. Yeah. Um, and because it's a it's a biotar, it was like one of the first biotar lenses to be commercially sold. So I I immediately ripped that thing out and mounted it in a uh, helicoid, and now I can use it on any film or digital camera that'll take an M forty two lens. Um, but I despise that camera. So. To, just to kind of with that as a starting point, um, <laughs> since we've gone completely off off script here, uh, well, what little script there was, what little script there was. So that camera would be on my my list. Uh, we we had we had talked about uh, <laughs> we had talked about setting aside our prejudices this this <laughs> this month of all the things mm-hmm. that we that we personally dislike. Uh, in honor of Pride Month, and 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 trying to be more tolerant and more open and accepting of things that are different. Um, and you know, I I don't think I could get there with with the Bantam Special because I just despise every single thing about that camera. <laughs> so it, I, as much as I'm going to try, there are other things I could love that I could appreciate, but I can't appreciate the Bantam Special. I just can't. I just it's can't. objectively ugly. I I see that is my opinion as well. Some people think it's the most beautiful camera ever made, and I just think it's like it looks like it looks like a cartoon of a heckle and jekyll car from the nineteen thirties in the you know in the in the cartoons with the the 
the crows heckle and jekyll and they would drive around in this car that looked like a character of a car from the 30s that's very like streamliney it's like over the top like streamlined styled with the pinstripes and it just looks absurdly ugly to me i i don't know and it takes a 28 film and you get what eight shots on a roll seriously <laughs> eight shots on a roll with backing paper i mean come on really <laughs> so it, it just it just everything about that camera annoys me and it but but it has this amazing wonderful lens stuck on this basically useless body with a horrible viewfinder rangefinder oh anyway so no <laughs> so, rainbow no rainbow flag flying above the husk of of my bantam special it's just a lensless hulk of streamlined disgusting you know that's the way i think of that camera i hate it so speaking of uh weird franken cameras simon you've oh, been doing yeah. weird stuff recently yeah, well i don't think it's weird in the slightest um but it's uh it, yeah <laughs> I, I posted something and it, it got quite a bit of attention um I've, wherever i put it and i put it everywhere um and uh and there was I think it was in one of the chat rooms somewhere. I forget who uh, who, who shared it, but there was a um, a promotional video by Hasselblad uh, that, um, that that it was about this thing called a CFV two, and I clicked on it and I started watching it, and it's 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 well worth watching this this promotional video. It, it's 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 have, have you guys seen it? Have you have you watched the video, guys? No. Oh, no. Oh, oh, we're not prepared. Okay. Um, yeah, th this uh, it it shows a, a a guy in a house, and uh, it's a really really swish uh, place, and the I think the guy's probably got a beard, and uh, he looks very successful, and uh, so on and so on, <laughs> and um, he 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 puts his uh, puts some music on with his record player, of course, um, and then pretty much immediately after doing that, he decides to leave the house with the record player still going. Uh, but that at least gives you the backing music for the rest of the uh, the, the promotional video. Um, but he, he goes out. So oh, does he do this first? No, yeah, he goes outside and uh, and he gets into his uh, his electric powered uh, Ford Mustang, uh, classic Mustang, and then he goes off and uh, gets his Hasselblad camera out. It's a, I think it's a five oh three. I think it is that he's using. So the same kind of classic shape, but just a little bit more modern than say the the five hundred. Uh, cm that i have and uh but the, there's a there's a little bit of a difference and that and that is the back that he's using is a digital back and this is something that hasselblad have done before um quite a few years ago now i think it was 16 megapixel back um and then that went away and they did nothing for for however long but they've they've now uh they're now about to launch or they have launched uh, this uh, cfv2 uh, digital back which you can also actually buy with um, I forget what they actually call it. Um, it's a f another five series. They call it a camera, but it's effectively just like probably the world's most expensive adapter. Um, so you could actually use uh, the um, the current. Uh, is it the X X One D? Um, the mirrorless Hasselblad, yeah. With um, basically the same sensor as uh, Pears uh, Fuji. Um, and so you can use that with the digital back. But more to the point, you can put this digital back onto a onto a uh, a V-series uh, Hasselblad camera. And I was thinking, oh, this is just wonderful. 
I just so I so want one of these. You know, I've been completely sucked in by this hipster advert, and uh, I now I now want to shoot this the, my, my Hasselblad digitally, and I, I then realised no, <laughs> there's there's no way I can afford whatever they're going to charge for the for, for this thing. So uh, I think it wouldn't it be nice to actually shoot my Hasselblad digitally and uh, and then the, the thought just occurred to me and, I, and I'm, I'm sure other people have done this in the past but uh, it, it just came into my head at least anyway and that's I wondered if I could actually just fit my my Sony a7 II up to the back of the Hasselblad with the um, the back taken off the film back taken off and and could I actually take a photograph with it um, and at first all I did was uh, I just took a photograph of the two things together and they, they look like they're embraced i think is, is, is the best way of uh, putting the look of these two cameras together <laughs> um yeah um and uh, and that was it and i just put this i just put this photograph out there on on instagram and places and uh, I th actually that was it. i just think i just put this particular one out on instagram and uh, it got a, it got a bit of attention so i thought okay well uh, i think somebody suggested asked me if it worked or not and i i hadn't even bothered to try to work it with so i realized it was going to have a bit of a problem because the uh, the the positioning of the sensor uh, on the Sony uh, versus where the position on the, of the sensor or the the film plane will be on the on the back is 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 different. In fact, in the way I've got it set up, the the sensor sits further back than it, it should do. So therefore, it's it, it would it puts the it would put the lens in a uh, in a macro position, as if like you're using mm -hmm. an, an extension. But I wasn't sure if it was going to give me anything at all. Um, so I, I thought, well, okay, let's give this a go. And and at first, it was actually quite awkward to actually get the thing to work because you've you've got, I mean, the way that Hasselblad works, it it it's it is a an SLR of sorts, um, yeah. but it's got a, quite a complex mechanism uh, of of how it actually works and how it lets light through to the uh, to to the back. So when you when you wind the camera on, um, it's it's got two curtains at the back and it's got it's got a mirror that drops down. And when you actually press the shutter, it lifts the mirror up and it also opens these curtains at the back. Um, so you you have to have the have to have it in the op in the shooting position. And of course you you've got a, a you've got a you've got a mechanical uh, shutter speed timer and things like that to deal with, which. Yeah, and I thought, well, I'm going to deal with that, and then you know, it was obvious. I just need to get the thing into bulb mode, so I just um, open open up the, uh, uh, the 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 shutter. The everything everything all opens up uh, together, and then switch the camera on, uh, set the IBIS on the on the Sony because obviously we want it stabilized with IBIS. Um, why why wouldn't you? Um, and and I and I looked out of it, and I, and I realised that it was infinity was probably around about two feet. Some, something like that maybe less but the fact I was, I was looking through it and thinking i can actually get something with it so i just like went out into the garden and uh you know found a couple of flowers because as we know flower photography is one of the most worthy forms of photography as we we, we now all agree um and uh uh took a couple of shots and and put them up and people loved it um although I did get quite a few comments of suggesting like, well, why don't you just put an adapter on it? Yeah. You know, uh, right. And, and, so, uh, and so on. You didn't actually physically connect the two, right? It's so this was like free whole, lensing to the extreme, right? Exactly. A free, free cameraing. 
So you were basically using a Hasselblad 500cm as an extension tube for the lens right. while exactly. pre-lensing it. <laughs> yes. And then, and then a bunch of people started copying. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, oh, I wish I wish I had the uh, the post up there. There's a few on. Did I think you were one of them as well, weren't you? I, I was indeed one of them. Yes. You, so you, I think. Go on. Uh, yeah, no. M stuck two Hasselblads together in a human centipede style contraption. He called, uh, called that the bladder blad. Bladder blad. <laughs> yep. Uh, someone stuck a, I think a, a Nikon behind his Bronica or something like that. A Bronica ETR. Yeah, yeah. Um, I put my Leica M240 uh, behind my uh, my Bronica S2 to create the Bron and Leica, um, and yeah, <laughs> it's dumb but fun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, it just it just well, it shouldn't surprise me because it's 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 the internet. But so there were you know quite quite a number of people over different you know whether it be on Twitter or uh, Facebook or Instagram uh, sort of took issue with the complete. F- utter foolishness of uh, of what I what I was doing there without really understanding it's just a bit of fun that's all that's all it is but it, the thing is though you put the two together in the, in, the, in the photograph the main photograph and it does actually look like I've actually somehow conjoined them you know it, it looks it looks legit <laughs> yeah and the, and the the photos you showed look pretty nice yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it, I've got to say, it, it, it was difficult to use, as you as you as you might imagine. And the, uh, I was shooting wide open, so depth of field was tiny, um, as as you might guess. So uh, yeah, I had focusing issues, uh, but uh, it, it, what did surprise me was just how decent the shots actually were in in terms of. Uh, um, yeah, sharpness to a degree, but there was plenty of contrast, which really shocked me, uh, because yeah, there was a uh, a gap around uh, the the mount of the Sony to the back of the, the Hasselblad that was easily capable and, and obviously was uh, letting light in mm-hmm. very very close to the sensor um, of the of, of the camera. Yet, yeah, the shots that I've posted. Um, I don't. They, had, they either have no added contrast, or they just have a little bit of added blacks in there, or something like that. You know, I could have probably actually just put the things up without any kind of editing at all, and they would have been decent. Uh, it really, really surprised me. It's a cheap way to get tilt shift on your Hasselblad lens too. It, it is, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that was that was one of the things when when I was putting it together. Sometimes it would, it would start to move uh, from one to the other, and you and you, but of course the sensor on the uh, the Sony is that much smaller than the projected image that was coming through the Hasselblad. It, you, you could you could move the camera, uh, you could move the Sony and still get a full image, uh, it, but just in a slightly different place. It was all all very odd. I, uh, I just like how far you took it because, like ergonomically, I'm imagining you you must have been holding the Hasselblad with your left hand, right, with your yes. finger on bulb, and then holding the Sony in your right hand. Correct, and, and and don't forget the shutter. Uh, the shutter on the Hasselblad is on the left hand side. So is on the right hand side as you hold it. Yeah, well. the front. Yeah, yeah. So I just like that you you went all the way and took it out into the garden to take some pictures. Um, how much dust did you get on your Sony sensor? Uh, no, no, no more or less than I would normally do on any given occasion. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Oh, it's it's a it's a complete dust magnet that uh, that 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 Sony is. Although actually, I, I quite uh, before I, I want to go back to uh, talking about the Sony, but I I did I put a um, a pinhole 
uh, cap lens cap on a micro four thirds camera recently, uh, just just to see what it was like doing a digital pinhole shot. And I mean, we we talk many times, and uh, or people have said, well, I never get any dust spots on my micro four thirds uh, camera. Yeah, on Sony, you get absolutely shed loads of the things, and. And that was always my experience too. And then if you put yourself a, a pinhole body cap on, it's something like about F111, uh, I think it is. And then take a photograph and then you really do see just how dirty your micro four third sensor is as oh, well. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that could even be a, a top tip for um, testing camera sensors if you're buying a, a, a buying one is get one of these pinhole uh, lens caps and put it onto your digital camera and you'll see every single spot that's on there the problem is you're going to see way too many that are actually going to be of any consequence whatsoever um and it'll just look truly horrendous and i, I don't oh, i hate to think what it would look like if i put it onto the sony it'd be like there'll be like no picture left it'll just be spots all the way over it back back to the the somblad there's uh there's a article that uh it hasn't gone out, it hasn't gone up as we speak but uh, by the time the the podcast goes out um i've done a, a blog post for hamish and uh, 35mmc.com uh, so uh, and that comes out at four o'clock today and uh, today being the monday what is it the 24th of june um so if you if you want to see some pictures from that and there's an extra picture that i haven't shared uh, because i i also took a picture of uh, andrew my youngest boy um who just happened to be standing near me when i was when i was doing this and i, I realized that, oh i can get i can get some of his face in focus <laughs> so <laughs> so um, so i just I, I just did that and i was i was quite pleased with the effect i think it looks looks, looks quite good um but yeah so you, there are a few more details of uh, of how i did that and um and perhaps why you shouldn't <laughs> um and that's on 35 at mmc.com uh, so that's my son lad johnny what have yeah. you been up to uh well i have a i do have a couple new acquisitions but they're kind of unusual um i i i've, I've really slowed down in terms of buying uh lenses and stuff because i just pretty much i really kind of have what i need for the most part um i've been settled in with the same daily kit for about a year more or less um so but i you know my panorama obsession um cannot 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 be uh cannot be stopped so um one of the things i've been trying to figure out a way to do for a very long time is to take a bessa l with a 15 millimeter uh lens on it and turn it into a panorama and i have found a way to do that um so there is a I found at Central Camera in one of the drawers a panorama mask for a Minolta Maxim camera. And it's a little hard to describe um, what this thing does, but essentially what it does is it sits in the uh, opening um, where the shutter is behind the shutter curtains, and it's got a couple of little spring-loaded clips that hold it in place over that opening. Um, and that effectively just crops down the 35 millimeter frame to crop panorama. So it works. I tried it in my Bessa and it, it definitely works. And now all I need to do is crop my uh, external viewfinder with a couple of pieces of black tape. And I've essentially got a 15 millimeter um, panorama LTM, which has kind of been my, 
my goal in a, in, in a lot of ways. So I figured out a way to do it. So coming up one day, hopefully soon, I will be shooting the Panorama Bessa L. Um, what, what, what did you get that mask out of? It go. It's a mask for a one of the Minolta Maxim cameras. I'm not uh, sure exactly what model, but it's really nicely made. It's got these two spring-loaded clips that kind of like just fit behind the gate for the um, you know the shutter behind the shutter, the 35 millimeter gate, and it's got a couple little uh, on the front side, just um, you know like uh, pressure plate uh, little strips for the top and bottom that are yeah. the panorama. So it's, it's this really nicely tiny little nicely made tiny little piece that probably will work with a lot of other cameras. Um, as long as there's enough space behind, you know, b- between the back side of the shutter curtains and the mask, um, for the, the 35 millimeter going into the back of the camera, as long as there's enough space in there, it should work with pretty much any camera. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about this because <laughs> it's been a, like a pet project I've wanted to, to work on for ages and I'm going to finally give it a shot. And so, that lens will get you a field of view very similar to the 30 millimeter lens on the X-Pan. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what my, my thinking is. Um, and, and that's why I've been so attracted to it uh, because I really love that lens. It's just, I feel like uh, so many of the shots that I take with that camera, I just look at them and think that there's too much top and bottom that it, it would work way better. It's so wide that it just seems to me it works better naturally as a panorama crop, but I don't want to just crop it after the fact I want to shoot it and crop. So I'm going to work on that. That's my new, that's my new project. So, so um, I was just going to say, Perry, you've got an X-Pan, yes. haven't you? I do have an X-Pan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is this will be my uh, version of that X-Pan. Yeah. So, Dude, there, yeah. Last time you were talking about that um, Pentax Z whatever, right? Yes, yeah. yeah Where are your too. pictures from that? You keep, you, like, I, I get, it's like you keep t- getting new panorama 35-millimeter cameras, well, I, but... Where are the pictures? So two two things. First of all, I I, I have uh, my first two test rolls of that camera um, were trashed because uh, that was where I tried to to see with my C forty one chemistry that it had forty five rolls put through it and was almost a year <laughs> old. Yeah, that I, I I I that that was my the the day I figured out that my chemistry was truly dead. Um, the, my first two test rolls off that. Uh, Pentax Z camera with the um, what the 17 millimeter um, uh, 17 millimeter which lens is it? You know the one I'm talking about. It's a Takina. Yeah, the Takina. Yeah, the Takina. Uh, yeah, right, right. So my my first two rolls off of that were dead, and then the rest of that film I shot. Um, I hate developing C41. Like I hate it. Uh, so I have like 50 rolls of C41 in the freezer to be developed. And I finally, finally this week, uh, got my cine still, uh, temperature control unit. You mean the sous vide? Yes. Hey, can you cook with that? Just on the side. Yeah, I'm sure you can. I mean, it's just basically my understanding is it's basically a sous vide, but it's just been up. It's got a couple of updates, upgrades to it that make it, you know, a little bit more friendly specifically for doing film. Um, 
but yeah, so I finally got that this week. So my other test rolls, which were shot on, I shoot all this panorama stuff on uh, XP2, Ilford XP2 Super. So I, I, I have all this huge backlog of stuff to develop because I never want to develop color film because I hate getting it up to temperature and keeping it at temperature. And it's just, it's yeah. really annoying. So so now that I have that, I'm going to, I need to plow into my backlog of panorama photography. So I've just got a, a couple of things. So I, let's stay on the subject. But the, the first one is X, XP2. Are you doing that in C41 then, or are you doing it an alternative? Yeah. Have you, yeah, have, no, you, have you thought of doing that in a different a different way? Yeah, way? but I mean, yeah, if you it, haven't tried, no, I mean, if I'm gonna do that, I might as well just shoot black and white film. So I, I just, yeah, I, I, it to me, it looks so good in C41 chemistry mm -hmm. that that it's kind of the whole reason I shoot it is because it, 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 shooting crop panorama on that film, the I like grain, but when you magnify the grain that much, it just the photo becomes about the grain and nothing yeah. else, and it just gets in the way. So I really like, and I just like the way that film looks. I like the the tonal range of it, and I think it really works really well with, um, you know, that pa panorama crop format because it just it kind of just has the right look for that for that uh, you know hmm. for that kind of film. So I, I so I really like it, and I shoot it exclusively in my little um, Minolta pocket Panavision camera. Um, so I have, I have so much film C41 film to develop and I'm going to finally get, get into that now. So that so, was a, yeah. Okay. Um, when you develop it in C41, it's contrastier than if you develop it in like HC 110, which I do, right? That, and that's why I want to develop it in C41. Yeah. I could do it in black and white chemistry, but it's going to lose the look that I like so much. At least all the samples I've seen, it doesn't have the same look that it has in C41 chemistry. Mm -hmm. So I could go that path, but I don't, I, I kind of don't want to because I, I, I think it's going to lose something in the process. Okay. I just yeah. want, I just still staying with uh, what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. That, your, your Pentax uh, SLR camera. Uh, yeah, which has got that built-in panorama mode. I'm not sure if you, if you spoke about this before, but I'm just curious. Do, does when you switch to panorama mode in that, does it also switch the viewfinder as well? Yeah, yeah, that's the whole. Yeah, we talked that, about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a to me. That's a that's a must. If it, it's if it's panorama camera, but without the panorama mask on the viewfinder, yeah. I I have no interest. Yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. Hey, hey, yeah. Johnny. Um, yeah. Uh, thinking about that, so if if the mask works on your Bessa L, yeah. If you want more of an approximation of an X pan, have you tried putting it in your Bessa R? Uh, I haven't, um, mainly because I feel like with the fifth. What I like about the Bessa L and the fifteen millimeter is the viewfinder sits almost immediately above the lens, and if uh -huh. I the same lens with the same external viewfinder on the R, it just sits a little bit higher. And it, it's, it, I just feel like that Bessa L is such a natural fit for that, uh, 15 millimeter camera. 15 yeah, millimeter. Yeah, it's just so compact. You know what I mean? I could, yes, I could just as easily do it in the Bessa R as well. Well, what yeah. I'm thinking is if it fits in the Bessa R, then you could stick a 35 millimeter lens on that, not use yeah. the external finder and then yeah. have like put some, put some tape or whatever. And you got a range finder coupled, Little X pen, yeah, that 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 would absolutely be true. Yes, that that could that would definitely be an option. So it could be very interesting. And with the when you put it on the the best rail, you're going to tape off the viewfinder. I take it is is that yeah, 
And yeah, he's going to. You got to do that at the front of the uh, viewfinder as well, Rob. Yeah, I just yeah. do it on the front. Although I've been, you know, I think actually I've had. If I could find like a kind of a trashy extra 15 millimeter viewfinder, you can take them apart, and I could probably yeah. put a nice kind of legit mask inside the viewfinder that would that would it would probably work great um but i mean i think that just taping off the front will be more than sufficient uh for what i want to do right because so the other the other thing that I, I think about and you made the, the the point many times now that it's not just about shooting panoramas it's about the experience of shooting through a a panorama viewfinder um Right. And to me, that makes sense then with the with the Bessarel to mask off the viewfinder. Yeah. But you don't really need to mask off the actual film because you've shot it in. Uh, I mean, you can just you yeah. can just crop it after. Yeah. Because it's it's the taking is the key to it all, isn't it? Rather than the uh, it, at the end, and that at least then gives you a little bit more latitude to 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 play with your, your framing as well. But I don't want, but see, I don't want to play with the framing. That's the thing. I, 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 I don't, I really don't do cropping after the fact. So I, I just want to do it in camera. I want it to come out of the camera already done. You know what I mean? I don't want to adjust it after I want it to be, I want it to be, I want it to be made in the moment that way. So, and that's why that's why the X-Pan exists, right? To kill right. this conversation where it's like, you're not cropping, you're just doubling the size of your negative sure yeah yeah i think johnny i think you really should be just going for an x-pound really shouldn't you i yes i should but i you know what no i i it's they're they're so far out of my reach at this point it's they're not so gonna happen expensive. yeah it's not it's gonna happen price and i'm fine with that i'm not heartbroken over it i mean i you know i i also know that everything i love about doing panorama on these little cameras is that they're little cameras that can do panorama. So I, 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 you know, I, I, the X-Pan is not a massive monster of a camera, but there is something about the convenience of a camera. That's a, you know, a third smaller than that. Um, I've got, I've got to say that way. Well, the, the, the Minolta one that you, that you have, um, Hamish, Hamish Gill of 35MMC fame um, yeah. has lent me uh, his Minolta panorama. Oh, he has. Ooh. Yeah. This is news. It Whoa. is. It is. Wow. And, and I've got it. I'm holding it now, and it's lovely. It's a lovely. Isn't it? It's a lovely little thing, and it's it's pocketable. It just feels like it would actually just just slide really easily in the pocket, and it's, the it's, viewfinder it, is great. Yeah, it's as pocketable as like an Olympus XA. Actually, more so. It's a little bit thinner. Yeah. Um, really. Yeah, it's thinner than an Olympus XA. It really is, and it's and Whoa. it's smaller and lighter. So, yeah, <laughs> and the viewfinder, as Simon just said, I mean, that's what. Once you look through that viewfinder, you kind of realize what the big deal is about with this little camera. Because I mean, I, I, a lot of these tiny viewfinder cameras, like I have a hard time just throwing it up to my eye and actually getting the viewfinder in front of my eye. Uh, but not this thing. You can't miss it. I mean, it's just right, you bring it's it up. full pano, right? Yeah. So you bring it, it up to your eye and you've got this. Yeah. You get this big viewfinder with frame lines in it. Like the, the big letdown for me was that, and I'm looking at it right now uh, across the room here is that little um, Nikon light touch. That's got a crop panorama mode, but it doesn't crop the viewfinder. And it's like, ah, such a letdown because the, and the viewfinder is tiny. Like I hold that camera up to my, 
eye and i always miss the viewfinder because it's it's just so small it's like half the size of the minolta's viewfinder yeah. so it's it's and yeah. it's just worth pointing out if anybody hasn't been listened to these previous conversations the it's a 24 millimeter lens uh but it it still crops the the frame um it it's you get you get a wider look when you're looking through the viewfinder but it's not like an x-pan where it, it's using the full height right. of the uh of the film it is actually still cropping the film right uh, yep but the fact is that uh, you you get to see exactly what you're doing but you've got a large viewfinder instead of a, this little small thing to start off with and then if you're lucky uh it then getting masked off to be even smaller uh, which yeah. tends, tends to happen but the right. other part is like it's a 24 mil lens and that's pretty yeah. damn rare in uh in in these these cameras yeah it's a unicorn it really yeah is. that's a, that's the same field of view as the x-pan 45 but i didn't realize it was thinner than the xa because i have an xa and i love that thing because it's like it's so small yeah the minolta is it's smaller than the xa Man, I want one now. It's a little bit. I, I should say it's a little bit longer by <laughs> millimeters. Not much at all. I actually hold on. I'm gonna just let me just go get visual aids for myself. Not you people listening, of course. But uh, let me just reach over. This is why I keep everything right on the desk in front of me. Um, so the uh, the Minolta is approximately, I would say, what five millimeters, four or five millimeters longer. Uh, than the XA, and it's thinner by. It's actually okay if you take an XA and hold it up to this Minolta. So if you took the little clamshell bump out, you know, Perry, over yeah. the lens, if you remove yeah. that, that's how wide the Minolta is. So it's like the that's XA strange. without the bump out. Yeah. Wow. And they're about. Because I've looked at pictures and it, it just looks bigger than that. In the no, picture I've seen, it's wow, tiny. That's cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's surprisingly yeah. small. I mean, I've got a, a Canon MC, which is effectively a motorized um, Olympus XA, and I've got that next to it as well. So it's almost like a fairer comparison because they're both motorized. Yeah, there um, you go. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, the the MC is only is only shorter in 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 length. Every other dimension, it's uh, it's larger and heavier as well, and that doesn't yeah. even have a flash on it. Right. Right. Yep. So, and the and the Minolta obviously has a built-in flash that works really well. I've used it a bunch. It's really fun. Actually, there's a that's a point. There's a button on there. Um, it looks like you can actually. I don't know if you turn in. Yeah, you can turn the flash off. Yeah. Direct, so directly, you, can't you? Yeah. So basically, that button you hold that button down before you press the shutter button, and about fifty percent of the time, the flash doesn't fire. <laughs> i'm just trying trying it now actually let's just see so, so, that's so what's a that... good price for one of these things um they go for about 100 bucks they're almost in exclusively available from japan actually the last one i got i got from a u.s seller for about 80 dollars, which is a but it was a bargain for this camera um but yeah typically they hover right around 100 120 and okay. almost all from japan so yeah, I'm seeing a couple listed locally for about that price. I have gas right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've yeah, just... it, it's totally superfluous. No, actually, Perry, you'll like it so much you can just sell me your X Pan at a budget because <laughs> you, you won't need it anymore. Uh, nice try, nice try. Yeah, the, what you just said there about that button canceling the flash occasionally. I've just done five test shots and I I could not actually get it to switch the flash off. You have to you have to like hold that button first before touching. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, did that. So and, and it should it, it should 3, do 3, it. Is it like three point five seconds or you know, and you've got to be bang on or something like that? Or so I've done a small press, that's about a second and it flashed. Maybe it's you know, maybe it's the other way. Maybe you half press the shutter and then press the flash okay. off and maybe okay. that'll do it. I can't, I don't know. No, that didn't work. <laughs> okay. Um, it's yeah. a theoretical flash override button. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going off it at the moment. And the other the other thing I don't like about it, and this is something I just get a bit obsessive with, because I like point-and-shoot cameras, um, and the it, it winds on um, immediately after pressing the shutter. So you, you can't, apart from the fact, you know, you're probably going to blind the person, you're um, surreptitious, not surreptitiously, you're, uh, I can't think of the word now, but you're, uh, you're trying to take a photograph without being noticed. And one, you've blinded them, and then they go, after, straight after. So, <laughs> But it's, um, it's quiet. It's not like it's loud. No, you're, you're, you're right. Let's face it, that, that flash is a lot more intrusive than the, than the, than the winder. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, it's it's just it's it's now moving down my scale of desirability, unfortunately, for that. Flight. No, come on, you got to go shoot it first, Simon. Come yeah, on. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So so there's that, and then um, uh, so I got that, and then the other thing that I that I I acquired in a roundabout sort of way, which will lead us into another area of the podcast here. Is uh, Robbie J stopped in the the shop and I, he, I had been talking with him about my my Bessa R and he he came in oh and we were also talking about um, filters for uh, Roloflex he has a little Roloflex I'm just gonna find the picture of it here yeah um, I'm trying to remember which model he has and I will find it in a moment and describe it in detail. Um, but essentially Rob came in with a couple of cameras, um, and <laughs> well, he came in with three cameras. So the man with three cameras, Robbie J. So Robbie J walks in with, um, a Bessa R2. Okay. Now this is li- mere moments. I, I, I mean, literally mere moments after I'm having this conversation with, um, Perry about how badly I need, <laughs> a Bessa R2 because now I really want an M mount version of the R2 to be able, you know, of the, of the R, the Bessa R to, to, to shoot a few things like namely my sonars that I have a adapter to use. Um, but I have no camera to use them on. Um, so in walks Robbie J with none other than the exact camera. I'm just like gassing out about, which is a Bessa R2. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I found it in my closet. I got it three years ago for, you know, 200 bucks on Craigslist. And I'm like, you bastard. So, you know, I'm, I'm losing it over the fact that he's literally just walked in with this camera. Um, but but he brings in also with him um, a, a Fujika GL690. So he brings in with oh, yeah. him a Texas Leica for me to borrow. Um which I have right here in front of me. And this thing, it, I mean, it looks amazing. It's been totally beat to hell. It's got dents everywhere. The frame around the viewfinder um, is like falling off, uh, <laughs> but it looks great. And I'm really excited to try it out to, to do some uh, six by nine stuff. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm looking for this picture. Uh, here we go. Let me find the picture of Robbie. Uh, I'm looking for this picture 
of Rob with these three cameras. Well, two out of the three cameras. Um, and where is it? So he had a, he had a Roloflex with them. And here we go. Now I got it in front of me. So, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm a Minolta Autocord. So that was the other camera he had with them is the uh, Minolta Autocord. And we were looking for some Banette. Uh, some Bay One lenses to go on there, which we found. So he's got a set of close-up lenses for that. Um, oh, oh, and I should have mentioned on his Bessa R2 is uh, the Top Core S, uh, nice. fifty mil, yeah, fifty millimeter f two that I I'm pretty sure he bought because of of Perry, Perry talking about it. <laughs> I so think quite we, a few people have picked that up. Yeah, recently. so we blame that one on Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my other, I guess, new acquisition, uh, loaner acquisition is Robbie's uh, Fujika GL690, which I'm... That camera um, is really nice. Yeah, and I've been kind of like going back and forth about getting one of those and, you know, I I could shoot panorama in there too. (laughs) Yeah, you could. Yeah. I mean, the only drawback with that thing is it's so huge. Yeah, it's a big camera. Definitely a big camera. Bigger than the kind of things I like to usually carry around. But special special purpose, right? I mean, it'd be really cool for some of the stuff I like to do in and around the city here. So that would be a fun yeah. one. So, so um, since we're on the topic of Robbie J., uh, we have an email here from Robbie J., and I thought maybe we could go ahead and read that. Um, as a way to segue into the classic lenses podcast, uh, email catch up portion of the program, which we have not done for a while. Right. So we're going to read a few emails and I thought we'd start with Robbie's email. Um, so, uh, subject idea for Perry. Uh, hi guys. I had an idea for a future segment. Now that Perry is a regular on the show, I've been going through back episodes of the podcast. And one of my favorite episodes was the one where you did your budget recommendations for lenses of various focal lengths from ultra wide through standard and portrait up to telly and was wondering what Perry's list would look like for his budget lenses. Anyway, just a random, uh, idea. If you need one, if you do, please erase the recording to make him redo it, even though that would be hilarious. <laughs> Hope all is well. Thank you for making my Monday slightly more bearable, Robbie J. And I think what Robbie's referring to there is the fact that the last time we did this, we essentially did it twice because there was an equipment failure, which we won't blame anyone in particular, Simon, for that. <laughs> but uh, we, we ended up recording... <laughs> The episode we did twice where we did that. And I think we got through it very quickly the second time, as I recall. Extremely quickly. We we spoke at double time because uh, Carl says we've got half an hour. Can we do the whole episode again? That's right. Yeah. Carl's like, I don't have an hour, guys. Yeah. And and then we still, it's still, it was still an hour long after that. It was still an hour long. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So budget lenses. (laughs) Um, I, actually, yeah. I, just, I just going to, going to say, I, I think I think that's a it's a great idea, um, and I, I think it's a, a good thing to uh, go back over, um, and I think that's probably deserving of um, a good segment of an episode in its own right, if if not the whole episode again. Oh, but let Perry spitball it for a minute. Okay, let him <laughs> let him spitball it for us, Perry. Just you know, throw a few out there, and then we can do it. We can do it like. We got to do it over then, right? Then we can do it over another episode and you can talk in more detail. Yeah, I mean, the caveat is like, I I don't have that many like cheap, cheap lenses. Um, I mean, I have a couple 
from like way, way back. But the list you guys did was pretty comprehensive and pretty good. And I agree with most of it. So my list would be more like value for money, bang for your buck rangefinder lenses. Like rangefinder lenses are not cheap, right? Right. And, 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 and I do have a bunch of SLRs, but what I do with those systems is like I, I have an OM-1. And I have a 51.8 and a 28.3.5 for the OM1. Right? I have like I have, a, I have a couple of Nikon's, and I have like a 50 mil, a 105, and a 24. Right? So I so I don't have a lot of like these these rando cheapo. Sorry, I shouldn't make it sound like that. But I don't, I don't have a lot of these like, lenses. <laughs> you're, up. you're making it sound exactly how you how you feel though, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, for, dear, dear dear listener, um, it's it's worth noting that in a in a previous unrecorded section uh, that uh, uh, when we when we talked about this, um, it was actually a, few, a few couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, Perry was suggesting that. Um, that Johnny and I have have some specific experience of uh, using cheap crap lenses, whereas there is, uh, you know, Pe- Perry doesn't really go there. Sorry, guys. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay, let me let me defend myself. Um, first, I learned a long time ago, uh, back when I was shooting Canon, that just buy the best lens I can afford because otherwise I'm going to have gas uh, for the more expensive lens always. Um. And number two, I do have cheaper lenses, but like the the few autofocus lenses that I still have remaining, I skimp on them because I can't use them across different systems. Whereas for vintage lenses, I'm like, you know, you guys had a discussion with Hamish a while back, right? Where he uh, he wrote a review of the Canon 51.4 LTM, um, which is a great lens, but he was like, I, I have no interest in keeping it because like, what does it do? And I, I kind of feel the same kind of way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, that's my defense of, uh, <laughs> not having cheap lenses. I have some, I have some, <clears throat> but okay. Let, let me, let me throw out two just totally randomly. Um, because yeah. Okay. <laughs> just bear with me here, right? Va- value for Perry's money uh, lenses. <laughs> so, uh, 35 millimeter. Yeah. My favorite focal length. I think there are two lenses at this focal length, because rangefinder lenses at 35 mil are crazy expensive. Um, if you can stretch it, obviously pay a little bit more, get like a Canon 35 F2, those are good. But the two budget lenses that I think are actually really good value for money are the Voigtlander 35 2.5 color Scopar and the Seven Artisans 35 millimeter F2 for M mount. How's that for bang for your buck? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Sure. You're not going to diss me for that, right? Those aren't no. like Lambo lenses. No, not at all. Those those are not Lambo lenses. That that's I I totally agree with those. I mean, I to me that's uh, that, all right. They, they are bang for the buck lenses for sure. I wouldn't consider them value lenses because they're going to be Well, I don't know what is the 7 Artisans going for. Probably not that much no, at all. No, it's it's like 200 bucks now. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of pushing into budget territory. I think, I mean, at least for me, the Voigtlander, at least over here would be more of a $300 lens. Yeah. Yeah. But, but all right, but I'm, I'm there with you in terms of bang for buck. I mean, if you're not going to buy, you know, 12 different 35 millimeter SLR lenses to finally find the one that you like, you're going to easily spend as much money as you would on one of these. And you can probably just have that as your, your go-to lens, right? So from that way of thinking, I I, I totally agree. I think it's a, yeah. it's, 
I was just going to say, going, going back to that episode, you, uh, Johnny, you introduced the Canon 50mm 1.8 LTM as a budget lens. Uh, yeah, which, well, which, you can get them for around 100 bucks. So to me, that is legitimately a budget lens. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got mine for 50 bucks, and it's perfect. Yeah. Well, you, you're lucky. You know, it's as simple but, as that. But, I mean, but it's, I, I really struggle with the idea of a hundred or two hundred dollar lens being being a budget. Yes, it's for what it is and uh, for, for the market that it's in. And LTM lenses are just more expensive. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. But is it? I think really we were talking more about entry level rather than specifically budget lenses. And uh, yeah, and you can go Russian, you know, and get something really cheap. But, but if you're going to recommend someone like a mirror or a Jupiter 12, I mean, just, oh, they're, they suck. They're so hit or miss. Yeah. 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 So, so it's like, you know, pay a little bit more, get a lens that you're not going to want to throw out the window. Right. Um, and well, you no, won't I, like I, go I, out and, and, and constantly feel the gas for a proper lens. I think it, it, when you're at the wider lenses, that, that's where things start to get a little bit tricky with LTM, but a 50 millimeter, it's it's not a problem. It's it's a Jupiter eight all day or uh, yeah yeah oh, totally. a Helios, or a Helios one hundred three if you get yeah, get, get the adapter job done. But but I mean those those are perfect examples, right? Because fifty millimeters are a dime a dozen. Yeah. Um, there are very few yeah. bad ones, so you know find one that feels good. If it's cheap, buy it. To, it's going to be okay. I was going to say, to be fair to you, I'm, I'm still having to go at Johnny uh, with his fifty one point eight Canon rather than your no. thirty five mil. But both of those, I think, are good examples because I have both of those lenses, the Helios 103 and the Canon 51.8. The Canon 51.8 is a wonderful, lovely lens. Uh, I'd never use it because why would I use it? Like, I have <laughs> so many lenses that are better than it, even though it's great. Like, the, the, only, the only way I would use that lens is if I'm, like, going into a, I don't know, like, going somewhere where I'm very likely to get mugged. <laughs> right, but then I'm not going to bring a rangefinder with me to that to to that place. So, like that Canon 51.8, it's just sitting there. I I got it because it came basically free with a Canon P, which I do use. But you know, I have like I have a 51.5 sonar. Why would I use the the Canon 51.8? I have the I have a bunch of top cores, right? Uh, Sumicron, yeah. like yeah. And then the Helios 103 is an even better example of that. I, I got it for, I mean, they cost so little, right? Yeah. Mine was $15 uh, and it came on a Kiev camera. <laughs> yeah. Mine was like 12 bucks. Um, yeah. and I, I have, I've tried it once on my Sony. It, it's really good. You know, it's, it's a good looking lens, but you know what I use it for? I use it as a body cap because yeah. I have two contacts, two A's and a Nikon S3, uh, and one lens on each. But when I want to go out shooting with like, uh, sorry, Nikon S2, when I want to go out shooting with like my Nikon S2, I'm going to bring my Biogon and my Nikkor 51.4, which means that one of my contacts is going to be sitting there lensless. So I stick the, the Helios <laughs> on it as a body cap because I can't find body caps for contacts RF mount. So if I went down that route of buying a bunch of like cheap lenses, I, I would have thousands of lenses. That My house would be nothing but lenses. And I would never use any of them. And I try to use most of the stuff that I have in my Yeah, that's my pretty much what my house looks like. <laughs> Perry, I, I'm I'm just just thinking now that I mean, and th and this this is the thing with rangefinder lenses, people don't use them wide open, so yes. people are stopping them down, and you're stopping them down. Uh, not always, not always, because I shoot a lot of portraits of friends and family, and with those lenses, those I'll use rangefinder lenses pretty close to wide open. I just don't post them as much as my street shots. Okay, cl close to wide open. 
So still potentially um, at, at F2 or 1.8 or 2.8 for that matter. Um, uh-huh. I'm I'm just wondering if if it, because you can do this on 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 digital, but really I'm I'm challenging you more about the about film, and I've I've long been of the opinion that lenses make have, have less of an impact on film than they do on on digital. Uh, yeah, agreed. Uh huh. And yeah. So I'm thinking if you're like, if I'd, I'd like you to go out some time and take your 103 with you so that I, sh- I assume therefore you're going to be shooting with your your, your nikon and put a fit or i guess a contact for the mount yeah well, yeah so uh if you if you've got a 50 millimeter a, a, you know a, you know a, a quality should let's let's we say or more premium uh 50 millimeter lens if take your 103 as well and if there's a situation where it's, it's you can replicate the shots pretty much identically light, lighting conditions subject matter and so on just just swap those lenses over and and just just see what the actual difference is and perhaps share share the results sometime. Uh, on film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I'm talking about stop down shots now. It's the in, shot in the way that you would normally take most of your shots. And I'd, I'd just be really interested to see if if actually we can take if we can see any significant difference. I think you might be able to see a difference between a, a Sonar and uh, and a one hundred three, but if it's a a planar design, I, I I reckon there'll be very little difference at all. I think the way that I shoot, you're not going to see too much of a difference for most shots because like the, the handling makes a bigger difference, and the Helios one hundred three has a has a kind of like ghetto feeling aperture ring. Um, yeah. Versus the like the Opton Sonar, which which I have, which is really nice. So those are the little things that'll make me pick one lens over another. Like if, as an example, right? Like my Leica thirty five millimeter Somicron version four. That lens is expensive as hell. I I think image wise, image quality wise, like it's okay. It's nice. It's not amazing, but I, I use it and I pay the premium because of its size and its handling. Um, so like, yeah, I, I think I'll do that. I'll, I'll go out with a roll of film with a bunch of identical lenses and do stupid test shots, but I don't think you're going to see a difference. And and that will be my point. But the, the, the flip side is, is yes, we'll, you, you will choose to use another, another lens, a higher, higher specification lens if, if, if you like, but it's as much to do with the way that that lens feels and, and how you use it than it is to do with the image quality then. Yeah, when I'm shooting like portraits of friends and family, I will pay much more attention to choosing lenses that have a really specific look. Um, when I'm out doing my day-to-day street photography, it's almost always like a 35 Biogon or a 35 Somicron or something like that. And and all I really care about there is, do I trust the lens and does it feel good? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and to your point, uh, Simon, the reason I kind of keep coming back to the Canon uh, 51.8 LTM it does come down to convenience because I could have the top con in my bag every day. And the reason I don't, the reason I, the Canon is still my carry around lens is that I also, the other lens I have in my bag every day or on the camera is the Canon 35 uh, F2 and the Canon 51.8 and the Canon 35 F2 say, share the same filter ring size. Mm. So I can carry around one set well i carry around a series six adapter but i can carry around a sets of series six adapters with the lens with filters already mounted in them that i can put on either camera so for the sake of convenience yeah i i carry around those two lenses because it's just easy i can i have to carry fewer accessories 
that I can use commonly between both lenses. So if I care, if I have the top core with me, I've got 43 millimeter filters to carry around. So I've got like two different sets of stuff. And so it's, oh, it's just 40.5. It's even more. Annoying. I'm sorry, 40.5. Right. So, um, it's purely down to convenience because to me, the Canon 51.8 and the top core stop down are, they're so similar. It doesn't really bear kind of, you know, there, there's not a compelling reason for me to carry one rather than the other. And the Canon's a little bit smaller. It's obviously a lot less expensive. Um, and it's more easily replaceable too. So in a way, I feel much more comfortable ca carrying the Canon 51.8 around than I do the top core. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, and, you know, it, it, the thing is even stop down, the Canon, I think it, it really, it's got a, quite a bit of pop to it. And it's the highest resolution of all the Canon 50 millimeter LTM lenses. So it's got that going for it too. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, Simon, you're right. It ultimately all things being equal on film, it comes down to which one is more convenient to use. All right, moving forward, uh, we're going to read our next email. Um, and this email is from um, Chris Holland of Raynox Industries. Uh, and Chris, <laughs> Chris says, subject, can, can two classic lenses beat the modern Canon Lord of the Rings L lens. And we're about to find out what that lens is. So hello, Simon, Johnny, and Perry. Creating a new blog post about classic lenses, I did some bokeh test testing comparing the legendary Canon, quote, Lord of the Rings, unquote, 135 F2 L lens with two classic lenses. Um, and those two classic lenses, he has I, a link. Johnny, I've got to stop yeah. you there. What, okay. What on earth is Lord of the Rings lens? So I, I can jump in on this because I used to shoot Canon and, I, and, and have this lens. Uh, in the cult that is the online Canon photographer community, uh, there are three lenses known as the Holy Trinity, which are the 135L that he mentions, the 85 1.2L, and the 35 1.4L. Uh, and the 135, being the sharpest of the three, is referred to as the Lord of the Red Rings. Mm. Mm. okay so i yeah. i will just say <laughs> move swiftly on there yeah before we move on i do have that lens i do love that lens i probably the lens when i've shot commercially i've made the most money with totally hands hands down hands down Me too. i mean no contest so That's and so i and i have held on to that lens purely and one canon dslr body purely for those instances when i might need to use it for a actual paying gig and that's it so so yes i i i, I will say it's an amazing lens um but anyway continuing on with uh chris of raynox industries his uh his rest of his email he says in the bokeh testing photos especially number seven eight and nine it clearly shows that the alpha 6000 aps-c sensor with the nikkor AI 85 F2 creates a deeper range of focus depth of field compared to the Carl Zeiss T sonar 135 lens on an A72 full frame body. Um, focus is on the tree in the foreground. The buildings in the background are more out of focus with the Carl Zeiss lens, Carl's Zeiss lens on full frame sensor compared to the Nikkor lens on APS C sensor. 
All bokeh comparisons were done from the same distance to the objects. The 85 millimeter lens on the APS-C sensor just created a similar field of view as a 135 lens on full frame sensor because of the crop factor of 1.52. I think there is no doubt in the photo community that a larger sensor will create a more shallow depth of field to create a maximum subject separation, better use a full frame sensor out of an APS-C sensor with your classic lenses. Question. Uh, but because of exactly which technical reasons is this so? Cheers, Chris. Wet on wet bokeh, ergo sum. P.S. P.S. The inexpensive classic Carl Zeiss T-Sonar 135 lens turned out to be sharper in the edges than the modern Canon Lord of the Red Rings L lens at f2.8 and to have a very similar perfectly creamy bokeh. End of message. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can do all of this one, Perry. Here it comes. Let, let's be fast. Number one, depth of field difference, very simple. You're shooting an 85 millimeter lens, and when you crop that down, uh, obviously the depth of field is amplified. So, you know, you've got the depth of field of a 135 millimeter lens versus an 85 millimeter lens that your the APS-C sensor is cropping down to the same field of view. That's why you have your uh, depth of field difference. You can Google this. There's like a thousand articles, millions of articles and YouTube videos uh, about this effective depth of field. Number two, uh, this test is really weird, apart from the fact that it is a, a test. Because A, there's no way that those other two lenses are nicer than the Canon. Um, <laughs> like the Canon just looks way better because uh, it's an awesome lens. And then number two, if you're going to do test shots, like, oh man, sorry, Chris, I'm going to rant a little bit here. The lighting is different. The framing is different. The time of year is different because there are three <laughs> test shots where you've got like a stick that you're shooting with the Zeiss and the Canon. And then in the picture with the Nikon, the stick suddenly has a bunch of leaves on it. Uh, so like, it's it's not exactly a comparable picture. But even then, to my eye, if you're going to look for like smoothness and things and pop, uh, the I mean, the Canon is clearly the best. What are you, what, what are you talking about? And also, why didn't you compare it with the Raynox? Because that'll point. beat all of them. Exactly, the Raynox <laughs> would would be the best because you would get wet on wet bokeh with the with the with the Raynox. Um, um, yeah, um, I, I can't really add anything to what you've, you've said there, but what I will say is, um, and I've mentioned it before, uh, but I have the older FD, uh, Canon 135 F2, and it's a brilliant lens, and mine is battered. I mean, it really literally has rolled down a road. Um, <laughs> it's got tons of fungus in it. It cannot be open because it's, it's just been battered. You'd have to saw the thing open to try and attempt to clean the fungus off, and you probably couldn't anyway, or just it's probably etched the glass. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's lovely wide open. It's a fantastic lens. Although, in, interesting enough, I think on one of the in in uh, Chris's article, which we'll put a a uh, link in the show notes um, so you can uh, look in wonder uh, at the uh, <laughs> the Lord of the Red Rings. Uh, uh, iconography that, uh, that that's in there um, uh, and that's, that's completely thrown me out oh, that, that was it and one of the photographs in there is uh, I think it's by actually by Samyang and it's got a picture of the Samyang uh, 135mm uh, f2 which I also own oh that's and a good lens it, it it is a good lens and it is definitely without doubt it is sharper uh, than the than, than the Canon um, but and he's a he's a big but 
Um, certainly compared, I've not used the uh, the later autofocus one, and we 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 obviously don't talk about autofocus. Um, but the I'm pretty sure the F the original FD lens is effectively the same lens. I'm sure it is. Um, but I've seen pictures where people have done like sharpness tests because obviously sharpness is easily the most important way of telling whether one lens is better than another. Of course, um, is. Uh, uh, yeah, they've they tested this Samyang. A few people have done it on YouTube, and you can you can see blogs. And the, the Samyang makes the the Canon when you zoom into it and pixel peep because we should always be pixel peeping. Um, and when so when you're actually doing that, uh, the, the Samyang absolutely blows the the Canon out of the water in terms of sharpness. It's, it really is incredible. You you look at them at these pictures and you think to yourself they've done something wrong, and then you find several other people have got identical results. But which lens do I pick up out of those two? I'll pick my battered Canon up because it just feels better. It's the, the focus rings nice. The, 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 how the weight is distributed in the lens is better. Um, so yeah, I, I will. I do wonder why I even keep the Samyang actually. May I, who knows? I may, I may let it go uh, because my battered uh, Canon is just a, a, a nicer lens as an overall uh, package. Mm. Yeah, and if we're a last little bit, if we're doing a little bit of sharpness wankery here, uh, <laughs> I, I borrowed my friend's uh, Canon 5D Mark IV over the weekend uh, with a Zeiss Otis 55 1.4 and a Zeiss 135 APO Sonar. So if you want sharp lenses, just go buy those and then stop with the sharpness comparisons because nobody cares. <laughs> Ouch. The Otis is damn nice, though. Can I just say that? Oh, man, that thing is crazy. <laughs> but it's so big. All right. So shall we move into our final email for the day? Yeah. Yeah. We'll do All right. Uh, and uh, this email comes from – I feel like I feel like, I feel feel like like Simon should say this name because it's going to sound so much better than, than the way I say it. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, it's from Ian Barnaby Nutt. See, that's what yeah, I'm talking the about. The way that he says nut. Nut. I, I, I mean, he was just going to laugh at me. I was going to do my Ian Barnaby nut, and Simon was just going to laugh at me. So, I, I, just, really, I really tried hard on that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, we need to say happy birthday to Ian Barnaby nut, who I believe is in Canada right now on a, uh, a birthday visit to Canada, doing some other business up there in the north somewhere, uh, nice. having a jelly donut and a beer in the beautiful north of Canada. So um, happy birthday, Ian. And uh, so on to his email subject, hello. Hey, guys, this is a quick hello from the west of Ireland from a newish listener. On my lunch break today... Are you, are you, just, are you just trying to break out into a leprechaun accent, though? Does it sound like you're adding that way? I read that without any accent. Didn't it was, I? It was you, you, you were heading to, you were heading Irish there. I can't read it in a heavy Chicago accent. <laughs> I could, I could do that, but that wouldn't be very nice, no, would no. it? I'd make him sound like an idiot, like me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just uh, start. So, on my lunch break today, I listened to the first half of episode seventy-one and felt that I had to write in. I'm sorry to say that. If I'm honest, I was never really attracted to your podcast because of the title. While I've had a few interesting lenses over the years, including some old M42 lenses that I've used with an adapter on my old Canon DSLR, I've never been too bothered about them. 
Um, I've just tended to play safe using what I have, paying more attention to the focal length and the aperture than the construction and the number of elements. Um, I've used the camera, the film, the aperture, then the construction, number of elements. Uh, wait, hold on. I lost my... Um, I'm going to start <laughs> that. I've used the camera, the film, the lighting, and the post-production as my creative tools rather than the lenses. I'm generally more interested in the reasons why people take the picture than the equipment they used and the message they're trying to get over rather than if it's just film or digital. For all of these reasons, while I've been subscribing to your podcast for a while, I was it was staying in my queue and not getting listened to very often. However, the first half hour of number 71 was one of the best discussions I've heard on any photography podcast for a very long time. You talked about how Perry's pictures made you feel and you responded to them um, and how you responded to them. He talked about why he made them and how he reached some of the creative decisions he made. The gear was mentioned, but secondary. It made me want to track down the pictures and discover them myself much more so than if you'd been talking about how the bokeh looked or if it was a pincushion distortion. I look forward to the rest of the show and hope uh, this might be the start of a slight shift in the photography podcast scene away from the equipment towards this sort of discussion. Finally, as someone who's lived for 48 years in Simon. Leicestershire. Thank you. Before moving to Ireland last year, I very much enjoyed listening to Simon's accent. It makes me a little homesick for that flat for the flat vowels of my favorite record shop, uh, favorite with a U, uh, Strand Shop in in Lawton, Lawton, <laughs> Longton, <laughs> Longton. Thanks, Longton. Uh, and I'm waiting for him to call Johnny Duck at some point. Cheers, Ian. Duck. <laughs> Yeah, duck. Um, yeah, duck, duck is a, a. It's almost a term of inf- of affection. It can be a term of, of, of affection, and it could also be yeah, uh, as a as a as a general thing. So um, um, I might say uh, read read email duck or something. Oh, something uh, okay. Like yeah. So it's like the way the New Zealanders use. <laughs> 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 okay, I just need to write what time you just said that and bleep it out. Okay, yes, yes, just like that. Yes. All right. Uh, although I think well, it's yeah, I, thought it was, I thought it was Australians that that, that said yeah, that. they did. It's, they it's did too. Of a demon. Yeah, uh, I have a friend from Christchurch who, who was like, "Hey, what you up to today?" I mean, that was like his thing. You know, he would say that every day because he said that was just the way you do it in Christchurch. So okay, so that's now when back in my notes now, and I, I use a I use a code system. I, I put F in in a circle, and P means pause, and um, and you can guess what the what C means, uh, which I need to deal with twice. Uh, <laughs> yes, um, so uh, I, I've just got to say thank thank you, Ian, um, for yeah. the, for, the, for this message. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a good. This was really good. It yeah. was, and it's it's also interesting. He talks about the first half hour, which is the bit where we were talking about the protest photography, and he's not mentioning my bit on flower photography. <laughs> well, he just said that he hadn't uh, listened to the rest of it yet. Exactly. So uh, hopefully, he enjoyed the the section on flower photography and the worthiness of flower photography too. Um, well, yeah, no, um, thank you very much for that. And it's, uh, you know, it's quite a long letter. So uh, um, appreciate the time you put into that. And, and and sorry for everything you've heard since that, <laughs> and uh, since then. Yeah, everything before and everything you've listened to since that 
first half hour of episode 71 because everything has been gearhead from here <laughs> from then on. <laughs> I did I did actually send him um, a little message last week after after our incredibly gear centric um, <laughs> talking about you know medium format digital that we did last week just to let like, no I think it was halfway through it's dying. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, so we do do apologize for that. Uh, well, it's one of those things when we, um, and. It's it's interesting that Ian did actually uh, write into us because um, I'm not sure if he's, if he's written recently into two podcasts, but certainly he's, he he wrote into uh, the Negative Positives podcast when they had uh, uh, two of the guys from the Classic Camera um, Revival podcast on on the show, um, and I think he's also made, made, said similar things on. Uh, Sunny 16 and they also did a, an audio recording quite recently on Sunny 16 um, espousing the same uh, subjects uh, and, and, and making the same points that uh, we, we do I say we, I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the film podcast or whichever kind of pod, photography podcast community, uh, we do tend to talk about gear more than photography and I think that applies more to certain podcasts uh, than others and certainly uh, the guys at the classic camera revival well it's all about old cameras in much of the same way as our podcast is going to be largely uh, about lenses and it is something that we've actually addressed to some degree we've we sort of moved well we've been moving away from uh, that pretty much since like episode three to so to some degree but yeah we, it is a it is a gear-based uh, podcast in in nature but we do like to talk about other things and it was it was actually talking about actually listening to ian's uh, questions and uh, points that he was making on those other two podcasts um was actually in my mind when we were actually recording that show and i i, I really wanted to talk about the uh um the feeling side and the emotional side and the, and and all of those things in in episode 71 so i was i was particularly pleased to get the uh um the message from uh, from ian and then we probably <laughs> did a, a super gear heavy episode after um but uh yeah it's 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 an interesting point and it's some it's something that you know we we do enjoy talking about the the the, the things associated around photography and and we've done a little bit of that today um and yeah we we are going to do more of it in general uh, but it's also a case of you know we we have a a core subject matter within our podcast and you know that is ultimately what the podcast is about so um yeah there's there's going to be a mix and some sometimes we're going to be off with the fairies and other times we'll be down and dirty with digital and where wherever the uh, the topic takes us each week yeah. yeah and i mean like ian first of all thank you for the email it's a super super nice email yeah um, and i i think it's just important that you don't lose sight of the photography uh when you get caught up in talking about gear because that's super fun right but it is like you're doing photography with the lenses otherwise you're just a, a collector and for me the photography is always prior uh, it's always like front and center um mm -hmm. and that's why i i have this hobby but then I almost see it as like a lot of people have said that it's almost like a second and closely related hobby. But the way that I like to think about it, to use an analogy, is like, you know, one of my other big hobbies, uh, and this is showing my Canadianness, is fishing. Um, and, you know, there are hobbies like guitars and music where people get really into the gear, too. But, you know, I know some people who are really into fishing and they're as crazy about the gear as we are when it comes to these lenses. I don't care when we go out. I just want to catch the fish. 
So if some dude is like talking about where the brand of his rod, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> um, but you know, if there were a podcast called like Fishing with Classic Rods, um, <laughs> it would be. I mean, it might be kind of interesting. But if I listen to it and they never actually talked about the fish um, or the process of catching the fish and just talk about their rods all day, it, it wouldn't be that interesting. You know, I talk about my rod all day long at central camera company um we talk about our classic <laughs> rods all day yeah i mean you know i don't i mean you gotta take care of your rod that's all, that's all i'm saying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> putting worms on it i, I was gonna say that yeah, this, and this this really has turned into an episode of the classic camera revival right right there yeah. um <laughs> Oh dear God! Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, you know, a lesser podcast than this would probably pull a silly April Fool's stunt and rename itself "Fishing with Classic Rods." I could just see that happening. You know, I could see something like that happening. It it, it it strikes me that we've completely lost lost um, well, wherever we're going with this podcast. Well, um, no, no. So, so, so yeah, one one thing on that. Can I can I jump back in uh, yeah, after sure. ruining after ruining that discussion? I'm just like, um, please God, jump back in, Barry. <laughs> I, I think so. I don't know how this is like for you guys, but you know, we we all have a bunch of lenses, right? When I actually go out and shoot, I think I've mentioned this before. There's not that much stuff that I use. Yeah. So sometimes. <laughs> Uh, you know, if I'm going for the photography, I have like my Leicas, my Bronica, and my X-Pan, and it'll be one of those cameras with just like three or four lenses that I use all the time. And then, but sometimes, you know, you just want to freshen things up and have a bit of fun, and that's when I'll play with the weirder lenses or or go and buy a new lens. Um, but I don't know, I don't know if it's like that with you guys when you're actually going out and shooting, whether there's just like a core set of stuff that oh, you yeah. go back to because. You know, you trust it. You're familiar with it. You know exactly how it handles and how it behaves, and you can just focus on the shooting. Because, like, when you're doing photography, you want the camera to get out of the way, right? And so, right. if I'm grabbing like my Mamiya six four five, which I just got, like, I don't even know how to hold that thing properly. So, if I'm gonna go and try to do photography with it, it's gonna be unwieldy. Yeah, yeah, I can completely agree. And 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 yeah, what you just said there about taking uh, using another lens just to you know, shape things up a little bit. I mean, sometimes I will, I will use a, a different lens simply because I'm in some kind of rut and I just want to just do something different and I want to cause myself a bit of inconvenience and go out with a, a particular type of lens that generally excels in a very limited uh, kind of shooting environment and go out with that and then I'll have some fun with it. Um, but... I think you. Yeah, I totally agree with it. If you, if I'm going to be taking some photos that really matter, uh, I know exactly what cameras and lenses I'll I'll be using for for that specific circumstance, and it won't be funky. It'll be, it's almost certainly going to be my my Zeiss fifty one point four and and a couple of other things. Maybe that one three five f two Canon lens. You know, just just know exactly what it's going to do, and it will it will it will deliver. Um, so uh, so yeah, the it's. Oh dear. I, I, I know Graham of the Sunny Sixteen listens to this now, and he's going to pounce on this. But yeah, it is a bit of a, it is a bit ridiculous sometimes the, the sheer number of 
lenses and things that we have because when it actually comes down to what matters to us you know we can actually define our collection into something relatively small that we'll always actually go to and the other stuff is just um, window dressing around the outside or just something that's it's something for the weekend occasionally or something like that yeah i mean that would be a that would be a good episode on what what those core uh lenses and, and cameras are because you know um, I mean, it, there are times that you just want to grab something random and see what happens, right? Like, I've been playing with this since I got this, like, stupid CCTV uh, C-mount lens. I've been using it all the time because it looks really weird. So I've been shooting, I've been shooting everything uh, from portraits to pictures of my cat to, like, flower pictures to some really, really, really bad street photography with it. Um but it, the, the, it was like, I like field curvature on some of my lenses. What if I get a lens that has like only field curvature and no other positive <laughs> <Right>. qualities? <laughs> and it's super fun. So that's that's the other part. Yeah, yeah, to- totally agree. So uh, so thanks again uh, for for that, Ian. And I think we we need to start drawing things to a to a close now. Um, and I think this is a good time because I didn't do this last week uh, to thank those people that have donated to the to the show um, using the, our coffee account. That's uh, ko-fi and just do a search for classic lenses. Um, and we've got uh, where are we now? Uh, Nigel Cliff has donated to us twice uh, in two weeks. So thank you very very much, Nigel. Um, and uh, he particularly enjoyed last week's show with uh, with with Pear. Interesting guy to listen to. Andy Andy is. Uh, I was going to say Andy was. Andy is. Um, Chris Holland. Um, uh, wet on wet. Wet on wet. Boca. Best greetings from from Chris Holland. Um, we love you, Chris. We do. We do. We do. No, we do. We do. Exactly. <laughs> and I still have my Rain, Raynox lens, um, which I don't use. <laughs> Um, and uh and then finally a um thank you to bob matter um and uh well i'll read out what what he's saying there it's um he says this this matching gift is given in memory of dr carl havens Uh, may his spirit Uh, live through the classic lenses podcast and may and may we all be like carl and mm. yeah, it always, it always stops you um, in the track yep. sometimes, especially when somebody, we hear that from somebody else. And Bob actually wrote a letter in a couple of weeks ago, a letter, an email into uh, Sunday 16 uh, on their backing paper episode. And he ended that uh, with Be Like Carl, uh, ah, which, uh, great. Uh, you know, I was just driving my car when I heard that. And that was just like, ooh, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and it was a similar thing um, when Pear was on the show because uh, um, I asked Pear, uh, because he's been on the show three times now, and I said, uh, have you been keeping up with the show? He goes, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he explained why. You know, it's, it's just it's, uh, podcasts just don't, don't, don't work for him in the way that uh, his life works. Uh, but when uh, you know, I finished the, the show with those words and, uh, and that, um, that had an impact on, on Pear because that was the first time we'd heard that. So, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, really appreciate that, Bob. Yep, indeed. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, with that, are th- is there any other business? Any shout outs we might want to do, Perry? Uh, just a shout out to my buddy Anthony for uh, the lovely SX70 gift. Uh, I have been I've gotten some pretty cool stuff as gifts recently, but this is a lot of fun. I've shaken some pictures 
of, uh, of my family with it already. And it's, uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun with this camera. Cool. And uh, uh, how can people keep up with the things that you do outside of this podcast? Yep. On Instagram, I am Perry G. On Flickr, I am Perry G. And on the internet more widely, I am at perryg.com. So that's where you can find me. And that's uh, the G is G-E, isn't it? Rather than just yeah. the G. And uh, and you, Johnny? Any shout outs? Um, no, I think I did all mine last week for the most part. Um, so I think I'm kind of caught up on them. Okay. Uh, yeah. So so uh, how can people keep up with your work then? Uh, at Sisson Photography on Instagram is the easiest place to find me. I post once in a while on there. Um, you can also find me at Central Camera Company in Chicago uh, every day of the week except for Sunday and Monday. And uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with us? Well, you can send us an email, which quite obviously we'll, we'll read at some point during the podcast, as we did today. Uh, you can send that to ClassicLensesPodcast at gmail.com. You can also go directly to ClassicLensesPodcast.com, and you can send us an email uh, through the site there, which will go right to Simon's spam folder. Um <laughs> Yeah, you can also keep up with us uh, on Instagram. Um, do that uh, via Best Vintage Lens on Instagram. Uh, Johnny, do we have time for me to ask you a quick question about your Instagram feed? Sure. What Instagram okay. feed? That should be your question. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. Because you <laughs> finally posted some pictures uh, after a long hiatus. And I, I only That's got it. Instagram at the end of April. Yeah. So I was scrolling through your feed, and it's really interesting to me to see the different motifs that appear on people's photography. Mm. And I have noticed that you have a particular penchant for photographing pigeons. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I'd noticed that myself, Perry, but... Uh... <laughs> well, it must be true. <laughs> it must be true. I I do know that two out of my last three Instagram posts were of pigeons. So, but they were pigeons being um, remotely controlled by iPhones, by smartphones. So there's that. <laughs> okay, I think we should. I think we should leave it on that note of mystery. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Make sure you get the pigeon app for your phone, pigeon control app for your phone. So. Okay. Well, uh, I've. Uh, I've got one uh, shout out, and that's to do with the Six Towns Darkroom, uh, which uh, is something that I've helped to rein, reinvigorate. Um, and uh, we meet uh, initially, it was going to be every second Tuesday of the month. Uh, and this is in Stoke on Trent in a place called Tunstall. Um, but the thing is, we've been enjoying it so much, we can't wait for one month in between meetings. So it's it's actually now turned into a weekly thing. Um, so if anybody in the North Staffordshire, Cheshire or, or further afield area uh, wants to have a go in a darkroom doing some printing or uh, processing and uh, this week, tomorrow, we're going to be... Um, having a, a session on digitization using different different methods um, then if you want to come along to that just drop me a pm either via uh, facebook or uh, instagram or twitter um, and we can talk about it and give you some more details um, and so on that front i'm on twitter is simon for that's uh, simon and for one word uh, i'm on instagram as simon forster photographic i'm on Flickr. 
I think I've put myself down there as Simon Forster Photographic now. That might have updated and changed. I've got a website where I sell FICAS adapters, um, which is... What's uh, that again, Simon? FICAS. Ah. Uh, that's it. Uh, and I'm actually running running quite low on, on Nex adapters and uh, Fuji and Micro Four Thirds, but I've got plenty of um, Nikon Z or Nikon Z adapters and EOS R adapters. Um, so uh, that's a good place to do them because I've also got them on, on my eBay uh, shop as well uh, but it's cheaper to buy them direct from my, my website so uh, so yeah please buy some adapters um, <laughs> and uh, that's that's just about it so just uh, thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com uh, for the Octo Blues music uh, you can find us all in the Facebook group uh, photographer no 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 we are in photography with classic lenses, but we have a dedicated uh, Facebook group called the Classic Lenses Podcast. Um, so there's a subtle difference between the two. Uh, the Classic Lenses Podcast is just whatever's appeared on, on the podcast or what might be about and uh, so on. And you know, whenever we mention the subject, lots of similar pictures seem to appear on there. So it's been full of Minolta lenses, lens shots for the last week. And uh, it was flower photos for Simon the week before. Um, that's yeah, what's it gonna what's it gonna be this week? Yeah, we've we've covered a lot we, of things. Yeah, we do have a weekly theme, so we have to come. We'll we'll come up with it. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll well, see it. You'll see it. Our, our listeners will figure it out. They will they will uh, vote they with will their, see it. Their, their photos. Did we mention yeah. Instagram? Just on, did we cover that one? Oh yeah, we got it. Yeah, so that's best vintage lens. So uh, keep it best keep it out of that. And, yep. uh, and see what Ricardo uh, Bayon has uh, said in these. Is, is, is currently very happy that we're actually still talking about things that are digital uh, because I think it was a little bit worried that we weren't going to do digital anymore don't worry yeah. we, we will talk about digital um, so uh, as we did all of last week um, um, and so that's it so I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and if you can be like Carl I've got like five pictures of pigeons <laughs> I mean like <laughs> I don't have that many pictures of pigeons. It's it's an above average pigeon frequency. You think so? I mean, I'm looking. All right. It says I have 496 posts and I've counted one, two. I, I have no more than a half dozen pigeons on my thing. <laughs> Do you not have pigeons in Hong Kong? We have, Of course we have pigeons in Hong Kong. I just don't have tons of <laughs> photographs of them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Legacy L, we've got Sunblad. Um, I could put a uh, a picture of a lensless Bantam special up. Right. Oh, oh, oh so I've much. Just, I've just sent it to Nigel Cliff. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel Cliff is now responding. Ha 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 